Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Libeled Lady from 1936. The studio was MGM, the release date was October 9th, 1936. The running time, 98 minutes, and it was in black and white. The budget was 600000 Today, that would be the equivalent of $11.2 million. And the box office back then took him $2.7 million, which would be the equivalent of $51 million today. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it four out of four stars. His synopsis says, Wonderful comedy with four stars working at full steam. Conniving newspaper editor Spencer Tracy uses his fiance Jean Harlow and ex-employee William Powell to get the goods on hot-headed heiress Myrna Loy. But everything goes wrong. Sit back and enjoy. Now, I first discovered Libeled Lady from a DVD box set, which included all these classic screwball comedies from the 1930s and 40s. And right off the bat, you couldn't help but be impressed with the superstar cast. And the movie is such a fun ride, it became an immediate favorite for me. Okay, let's get into the main cast. You have Gene Harlow, who plays Gladys Benton. Harlow's career began in the late 1920s in many uncredited roles, but her big break was in Howard Hughes' groundbreaking and infamous film, Hell's Angels, from 1930. From there, Harlow became one of the most popular actresses of the 1930s, with memorable roles in The Public Enemy with James Cagney, Red Dust with Clark Gable, and Dinner at Eight. But tragically, Harlow died in 1937 at only the age of 26 for months of influenza complications. William Powell plays Bill Chandler. Now, I covered Powell's early career in the Kennel Murder Case episode. After that film, Powell became a superstar with the popularity of the Thin Man series. Other terrific films he starred in, The Great Ziegfeld, The Ex-Mrs. Bradford, and My Man Godfrey. Myrna Loy plays Connie Allenberry. Now, when you think of film duos, one of the most famous was, of course, William Powell and Myrna Loy. The pair starred in 13 films together, most notably as Nick and Nora Charles in the Thin Man series. Loy's career began in the mid-1920s in silent films, and like Harlow, her career really took off in the 30s, especially with the Thin Man movies. She was also in Manhattan Melodrama. That film was infamously John Dillinger's uh, last film he ever saw because that's what he came out of when he was shot by the feds. Loy was also in Wifer's Secretary, Petticoat Fever, and The Great Ziegfeld. Spencer Tracy plays Warren Haggerty. At the time, Tracy wasn't the big star like the other three actors on the bill, but arguably he would become the biggest name of them all as his career really moved along. His film career began in the early 1930s after being recruited from Broadway for sound films. Even though Tracy worked steadily through the first half of the 30s, he was also getting a reputation for being an alcoholic. It wasn't until 1936, the same year as Libeled Lady, that he was really noticed for his work in the movie Fury, directed by Fritz Lang. And next, the film San Francisco with Clark Gable. The director, Jack Conway. Conway started directing films in the early years of silent films, back in 1911, and ended up directing over 100 films in his career. He spent most of his career with MGM from 1925 through 1948. Besides Libel Lady, Conway's most famous film was 1935's A Tale of Two Cities, and that is considered the definitive adaptation of the Charles Dickens classic. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So interestingly enough, while Loy and Powell were very popular as a movie couple, 
They were only friends and colleagues, whereas in real life, Powell and Jean Harlow were the couple, and they were engaged to be married. But sadly, the marriage never occurred due to Harlow's death in 1937. Now, Harlow wanted the role of Connie to match her real-life romance with Powell. However, the studio knew that the audiences loved Myrna Loy and William Powell together as an on-screen couple and stayed with what always worked. This was the first film where Spencer Tracy played a comedic role, because at that time, he was only known for his serious roles up to that point. Okay, let's get into the film. So the opening credits are unique, as the title cards do not appear immediately after the MGM Lion logo. We instead see the four main stars walking together arm in arm. You have Gladys, Gene Harlow, Bill, William Powell, Connie, Myrna Loy, and Warren Spencer Tracy. It's in that order left to right. Interestingly enough, that's exactly the order the stars were billed in the advertising. And I'm sure this was all done by design, of course. After the traditional opening credits, we are then taken to a newspaper printing factory. The foreman receives a call saying to stop the presses. We then see the front page of the latest edition, which features a headline claiming that Connie is stealing the husband of a British socialite. Hold everything for new front page. We're killing the Allenbury yard. Hey, Mac, hold everything. Wait for a makeover. What happened, Alan? Don't load anymore. Hold it, boys. Unload them. All of them. Destroyed. You're trying to kill a story. Is Ray Fox gone out? How about it, Joe? Yeah, number seven. Well, call him back. But he's gone. Times Square and Columbus Circle. All right, rush a motorcycle after him. Hurry up. We've got to get those papers back, every one. Hey, Pete, get on your machine and stop truck number seven. Okay. Hold all the stands on that route not to sell any papers. Quick. Are you ringing, Haggerty? All right, all right, try him again. Hop the subway to Haggerty's apartment. Fifty seconds, please. Yes, sir, I know where he lives. But won't he be at the church? Isn't he getting married at noon? Then you grab a taxi and get to the church. Tell him what's happened. Bring him here. I can't bust up his wedding. If we don't, it's our funeral. Step on it. Keep on ringing him. Don't answer it. I've had enough gags pulled on me this morning. Maybe Miss Benton again. I afraid... You're afraid? I'm marrying her and you're afraid. Well, that's loyalty. She said before... If you're late, she going tear him down church. Even that won't stop it. No, Ching, I promised I'd meet her at the altar at the stroke of 12. And there'll be no reprieve from the governor this time. I hope you'll be very happy. Yeah, said the spider to the fly. Very pretty. Warren is the managing editor of the New York Evening Star, and he's about to marry Gladys which is why he told his butler to avoid all calls. Warren immediately changes his tune once an errand boy from the star arrives to tell Warren what's going on at the paper. The story about Connie was false, as she wasn't even at the party where the claim of her attempting to woo a married man occurred. And if the copies of the latest edition are released, the star is setting itself up for a libel suit. Can I stay away from here for one day without somebody pulling a boner? You call yourself a newspaper man. Where's your nose? My nose? Yes, your nose, where that thing fairly reeks of alcohol. Jackson was drunk. You gotta smell things like that. You don't need any brains. All you need is a nose. I knew the boss hated her father. Yeah, and her father hates us. He'd give his right eye to blow us up and you hand him the dynamite. The one girl in the world that we should handle with kid gloves. And you spread her name all over the front page. What do you want? What will we use for a new headline? I don't care anything. War threatens Europe. Oh, which country? Flip a nickel. Yes, sir. The boss is here. He wants you right away. Does he want me or my job? Have you got a drink? Yes, there's a fresh bottle on your desk. I thought you'd need one. Yeah, I'll need it. And how? <laughs> I knew I'd find you with a drink in your hand. What are you doing here? Oh, what are you doing here? What, didn't Ching tell you? Yes, Ching told me, and I told him, and now I'm telling you. I won't stand for it. You can't do this to me, Warren Haggerty, not to me. 
First it was a fire at sea, then it was the kidnapping. What's the gag this time? Darling, there's no gag. The newspaper has made a terrible mistake. Yeah, well, so has little Gladys, engaged to a newspaper man. Joe Simpson never treated me like this. Then why did you divorce him? I've asked myself that plenty of times. Oh, now, Gladys, after all, you got no cake. Oh, I haven't. First you said a trip to Bermuda. You went to Bermuda? Yeah, but alone. Then it was Europe. <laughs> if I wait another year, it'll be little America. Well, I won't. Come on. I tell you, I can't get away. Oh, it's not Europe. It's the church. It only takes 20 minutes to get married. But, Gladys, the trip. Yeah, I'll take Battery Park. Oh, no, I'm going to take you on the greatest trip that a girl ever had. Just as soon as we settle the suit. Nothing doing. For two years, I've played second fiddle to this paper. But the boss is waiting for me, darling. Mm-hmm. Well, the preacher's waiting to get your hat. I tell you, I can't go now. The paper's in a jam. We're facing a libel suit. Well, you're facing a breach of promise suit. If you don't want to marry me, just say so. Oh, Glad you're getting yourself all upset, darling, over here at Little Drinky, maybe. No, not today I don't. Today I get married. Well, I... Uh, look. Hey, didn't they tell you I wanted to see you? Say, what is this? Do I own a paper or a lunatic asylum? Huh. You just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Mr. Bain, my future wife. Nonsense. I'll be in my office. Get rid of this woman. Hey, hey, take it easy, will you? That's the owner of the paper. Well, I don't care who he is. Nobody can talk to me like a house detective. How do you know how a house detective talks? Don't you think I read? Hey, why are you... Oh, no, you don't. If you think Gladys, that you can... Gladys, Gladys, darling. Now, now, you tell the preacher to wait. See, and I'll phone you just, just the minute I'm free. Mm-hmm. And we'll get married today, Gladys. Now, that's a promise. That's a promise. To- tomorrow at this time, you'll be a married woman. I swear to it, darling. Joe, come here. Yes. You look beautiful. Will you show Miss Benton to a taxi? And this is supposed to be the happiest day of a girl's life. Yes, ma'am. Unfortunately, 50 copies of the edition did get released, and one of them ended up in the hands of Connie's very wealthy father, James Allenberry, played by Walter Connolly. Allenberry had been an adversary for years against the owner of the newspaper, Mr. Bain, played by Charlie Grapewin. The Allenberrys are suing the star for $5 million. Today, that would be the equivalent of $94 million. Now, the money isn't what the Allenberries are really suing for since they're already wealthy. It's simply to ruin the paper and specifically Mr. Bain because the star prevented Allenberry from a Senate seat a few years earlier. This is just retribution on the part of Allenberry. Say nothing's changed after all these years. Warren, in the meantime, isn't going to take the threat of a libel suit lying down and decides to fight back to clear the star's name. He's going to do this by following Connie around the clock to catch her in the act of stealing another woman's husband. Warren decides to hire his old colleague Bill, William Powell, to bait Connie into falling for him and thus causing a scandal which will force the Allenberries to drop their libel suit. And here we have the basic premise of the entire film explained in the first 10 minutes. Very nice and tidy, but there is a catch to Warren hiring Bill. Warren fired Bill a few years back after Bill overstepped his authority and tried to run the paper behind Warren's back. So this will, of course, complicate matters. We then see a montage of various folks around the world trying to find the whereabouts of Bill, and nobody can seem to locate him. That was the good old days where you could simply just drop out of sight without technology constantly following your every move. They finally find out that Bill is actually in New York all along. Warren finds Bill staying at a nice hotel and has dinner with him. Bill initially turns down Warren's attempts to rehire him, but this was all part of Bill's strategy. He's playing hardball and knows that he's got Warren and the star right where he wants them. He actually had a contract drawn up knowing that the paper would be calling on him, asking for his services once he heard about the Allenberry libel suit. So Bill wants $5,000 down and another $45,000 when the suit is dropped. 
Bill's rationale to this large fee is that he saved the star over $300,000 over the years by getting libel suits to disappear against the paper. And he was only getting $125 a week for his work. He now wants his huge payday, and he knows he can ask whatever he wants because the star has no other choice but to accept. Bill's plan is to sail to London, where Connie is currently located. She is to return back to the United States in 10 days. Bill thinks he'll be able to woo Connie if they're stuck in an isolated place, like a boat. A private detective will then tag along with Bill to call Bill's fake wife and take photos of Bill and Connie together, which will cause a scandal they need to get the libel suit dropped. However, there is one problem. Who's going to play Bill's fake wife? You guessed it, Gladys, the fiancé of Warren. happened to you? Do I want to get married? What do you think? I'll call a preacher right away. The city hall? Then I can't wear my wedding gown. I won't ask any questions, and don't keep me waiting. Tiny! Tiny, come yes. here. Oh, I'm so happy. Today's my wedding day. What again, Miss Gladys? You can't do this to me, Warren Haggerty. Not to me. Let me out of here. For two years you've had me on a merry-go-round waiting for that gold ring, but this is where I get off and stay off. Why, Miss Gladys, be quiet. I oh, won't be God. quiet. The things I've taken for that newspaper, Warren Haggerty, but this gets the blue ribbon trying to marry me off to that... to that baboon. Sir, let's not deal in personalities. But, darling, it's it's only for a month, maybe less. Then six weeks in Reno. Now, Miss Benton, they've got the loveliest place in Reno. You'd love it. You can play craps there every night. That's right, that's right. And I'll come for you the moment you get your divorce. No, but I don't want a divorce. I want to get married and stay married. If you don't want to marry me, just say so. Darling, of course I want to marry you, but don't you understand, Gladys? This comes first. It's our only chance. I'll get fired. Why, there isn't a newspaper in the world that would hire me as an office boy, would they, Bill? Not if they know you like I do. What do you mean? Gladys, Gladys, you remember poor Ed Glover? You remember after he lost that libel suit? They found his car gone over the cliff and a revolver in his hand? Gladys, Gladys, do you want me to kill myself? Did you change your insurance? Would I ask you to do this thing for me if I didn't consider you practically as my wife? Well, would you ask your wife to hook up with that ape? The ape objects. Darling, darling, you're not marrying him, really? A wedding ceremony, six hours in a hotel apartment, during which time I'll never leave you, and then he leaves for Europe. Don't talk to me. I'm leaving. Now, wait a minute. I'm leaving. The deal's off. <clears throat> Here's your contract. Fifty thousand bucks. Say, I wouldn't hook up with that gal for a million. Oh, now, Bill, you know the spot I'm in. Well, that's your tough luck. I'm through. You'll have to get a new boy. You mean you're walking out on him? That's it, sister. Listen, you know what the star means to him. You're a newspaper man. You know. It'll ruin his life. It'll ruin his career. Huh. A fine friend you are. Well, if you put it that way... I'm putting it that way. Good, good. I'll get the guy. Oh, the things I do for that newspaper. After the quick ceremony in which Gladys gives a long kiss to Warren and only a quick back to her quote-unquote husband, Bill, the trio go back to the hotel to give a set-up performance for the benefit of their background story. Now, this is all done in front of the hotel staff who brings up champagne to their honeymoon suite and a telegram is sent which says Bill must leave for London immediately on assignment. This way, the two hotel employees can be interviewed and say that they saw Bill leave his new bride at the hotel. In a nice setup, Bill then has a few fake newspaper reporters at the boat ready to question Connie about her libel suit. Connie tries to avoid answering questions, but the reporters won't back down. 
Bill then arrives on the scene to tell the reporters to back off from pestering Connie. After some jawing back and forth, Bill then punches out one of the guys, which, again, was all part of the setup. This way, Bill has an excuse to talk to Connie once they're on the boat. The plan worked better than expected as the Allen Berries invite Bill for cocktails later that evening to thank him for chasing away the reporter for Connie. In the meantime, Bill has been researching big game fishing because Connie's father is a prized angler. This is another trick to lure the Allen Berries into Bill's web. After initially meeting for cocktails, James and Connie excuse themselves for the night, which frustrates Bill because he hasn't cozied up to Connie yet. However, he gets a break when the two annoying passengers who James and Connie knew from their London trip insist on having dinner with them. So Bill steps in and makes up a story that he had a prior engagement with the two and needs to discuss business, which gets the Allenberries off the hook with the annoying mother and daughter. Father, you're in luck. Your favorite fish, rook trout. Ah, you care for trout? Do I care for trout? Mr. Allenberry, the one thing in the world that I care for is trout in any shape or form, but especially on the end of a line. Oh, you're an angler. <laughs> I'm on my way now to Glen Arden, all set to prove that they'll rise to a Parmacini bell. No, no, not this early. A royal coachman, perhaps. Oh, Mr. Allenberry. Uh, maybe a pink uh, lady by visible, but not a Parmacini bell. But earlier than this, I uh, caught them. No, 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 not at Glen Arden. I know, I fished Glen Arden. I, I, I've tried it. <laughs> no, I guess, uh... Hmm? Shall we say trout? <laughs> what a sport to feel the trout on your line, to play him, to reel him in. <laughs> There's no thrill in the world like it. There's just one that beats it. When you first see him, not yet on your hook, but rising to the bait. Huh? <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> I remember once in the high Sierras, I was using a Wickham's fancy. No, 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 a grizzly wing. Father, for two hours we've had nothing but fish. My dear, I was only telling you about my trip to the Sierras. Ah, oh, perhaps you'd like to dance, shall we? Did you ever fish the Rockies? Oh, have I? Bishop Falls, Gluckman's Point. Gluckman's Point? To Luckman's Point. <laughs> I'm afraid the dancing isn't exactly my line. I should say it was part of your line. Uh, hmm? Oh, uh, may I be frank, too? Why not? You dance superbly. I was hoping for something original. <laughs> oh, dear, life is so full of disappointments. I hope. <laughs> Sorry. Just a load to the boat. <laughs> afraid I wasn't concentrating. It was your eyes. Beautiful, aren't they? They remind me... Yes, uh, yes, I know. Sparkling diamonds, deep sapphires. No. No, they remind me of angry marbles. Connie, darling, you must have lunch with us tomorrow, promise. I have a bone to pick with you. Well, I'm afraid I... Oh, I'm awfully sorry, but we can't possibly work on our book without Connie. <laughs> She's our inspiration. Oh. I thought that was rather clever. Yes, I thought you thought so. Uh, well, don't I get a vote of thanks? Oh, by all means. You know, it's just dawned on me that I seem to have made myself a permanent member of your party. <laughs> yes, it's dawned on me, too. Hmm? Uh, shall we sit down? Huh? Oh, uh, oh, yes, of course. 
So you fished Luckman's Point. Well, you're an angler, all right. I should say Mr. Chandler is quite an angler. Uh, Will you both excuse me? I'm quite tired. Uh, well, see you tomorrow. I think not. I'm staying in for the rest of the trip with a dozen good books. Oh, you're not ill, my dear. Oh, no. That will give you a chance to talk fish all the way to New York. I could talk fish from here to Shanghai. Couldn't you, Mr. Chandler? No. Oh, yes, yes, and back again. <laughs> good night, Dad. Good night, dear. Good night, Mr. Chandler. Don't keep Father up too late with your fish stories. <laughs> no, uh... uh Gluckman's point, eh? <laughs> so while parts of Bill's plan are working, Connie isn't an easy mark and is rightfully closed off to Bill attempting to get close to her. So the next day, Bill tries another plan in an attempt to get Connie alone in his room. He makes up a story about being dragged into a dinner with the mother and daughter and needs Connie's help to get him out of it. This is just a ruse to get her to first stop by his cabin, and then when they are alone, the private investigator can take pictures of them together. However, Connie is again one step ahead of Bill, and instead of Connie showing up to Bill's cabin, the mother and daughter arrive instead. And Connie says that she has a headache and instead invited them to join Bill (laughs) in her absence. Bill returns to New York with no progress at all and gives the report to Warren and Gladys. However, all is not lost as Connie's father has invited Bill to go fishing with him. So this gives Warren hope, much to the dismay of Gladys, who has to continue her ruse of being married to Bill. Also, Bill has never actually been fishing before, even though he's told tales of being a great angler. And in the meantime, Bill has to stay the night with Gladys alone. Well, you see, it'll be all right, Bill out here and you in there. Warren Haggerty, do you mean to tell me that you're willing for me, your fiancé, the girl that you love? Gladys, please. Listen, I've done plenty for you in the evening, Star, but there's a time to draw a line and I'm drawing it. Darling, there's nothing to worry about. I tell you, I trust Bill like he was a brother. Yeah, but he isn't my brother. He can't even speak politely. He insults me with every breath he takes. Darling, pipe down, will you? You'll hurt his feelings. Bill, I'll, I'll have that fisherman here the first thing in the morning. Good. The first false move and I leave. And unless I'm cuckoo, I'll be out before midnight. It'll, it'll be all right, darling. It'll be all right. Good night, Bill. Good night, good night, darling. Good night. Right, old man. the door, will you? There's some flowers on the way out. Now, you gotta get these bedclothes out of here. Front door key always fits both doors. You mean that key was there all night? Naturally. 
Mrs. Chandler. Yes, of course. Just wait a minute. Darling. For me, Billikens. Yes, my little fuzzy, wuzzy, wuzzy, wuzzy. <laughs> oh, they're lovely. Thank you, sugar pie. <laughs> How did you know white roses were my favorite flowers? What? Oh, I guess Haggerty sent those. Haggerty never sent me flowers before. No? Well, it's all part of the plan. Oh, oh, yeah. Now I'm going to duck out and get some breakfast. Well, I thought the plan was to stay here and look married. If you don't mind. Well, I don't mind if you don't mind. Oh, I don't mind if you... Hey, who started this? Well, what do you want for breakfast? Ooh, breakfast. So now Gladys is starting to warm up a bit to Bill when she hears that he had a key all along and didn't try to go into a room during the night and put the moves on her. That morning, Bill gets fishing lessons inside of his hotel room from an angling expert, much to Gladys' amusement. And in a stroke of dumb luck, Bill, who is frustrated about how the lessons are going, decides to simply do a natural back end, sort of like a tennis stroke, and tosses the line perfectly to the amazement of his tutor. Bill goes to the lake with Connie and her father, and Connie believes Bill is all talk and can't really fish, though she admits she's wrong once she sees his backhand cast. In the meantime, Bill has a book about angling stashed away in his bag that is meant to keep all the fish in that he's supposed to catch. Bill goes further and further away from Connie and her father in order to read his manual. However, he ends up hilariously falling into the lake when attempting to retrieve his book that he dropped in the water. But luck is on his side and he does miraculously catch a fish by accident, which again drags him around throughout the water. Followed the book, <laughs> the hook. <laughs> I'm an old walleye. You've got walleye. Who? Walleye. The biggest, the most elusive trout in Glenarden. We've been fishing him for two years, and and you got him. <laughs> it, it was nothing. <laughs> nothing, you say. But I'm ashamed of you spoiling his sport with a net. Nine tenths of the fun is reeling him in. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. I was so excited. <laughs> well, unhook him. What? Yes. Uh, unhook him. Oh, uh, uh, yes, uh, but that is, no, 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 you, you invited me up here, so you should have some of the glory. So, you unhook him. <laughs> I don't like to spoil your fun. By catching the prize fish, this has finally endeared him to Connie, who invites Bill to a moonlight swim in the lake. Connie and Bill have a nice conversation and get to know one another better. In the meantime, Warren and Gladys are on their way over to the lake in order to surprise Bill and Connie at the perfect time and get a few scandalous photos. So because Connie has now opened up to Bill, he of course now feels guilty as she's not at all the person that the gossip columns have written all about. So what will he do? Well, there's about 30 minutes left and you'll just have to check out the film to find out.
Libeled Lady is a terrific screwball comedy with an absolutely stellar cast from the early years of Hollywood. And Gene Harlow absolutely steals the show at the end of the film, so you won't be disappointed if you decide to check out this film. Plus, the whole newspaper scandal angle is just as relevant today as it was back then. By the way, part of the reason the film was able to get four major stars to appear in the film is because they just happen to be all under the contract of MGM. So yes, there were many negatives about the early studio system, but this is just one example where it was a benefit for movie fans because they didn't have to worry about the budget. They already had them under contract. All right, some fun facts. The film was nominated for Best Picture, but funny enough, lost out to the great Ziegfeld, which also had William Powell and Myrna Loy in it. Libeled Lady was actually remade as a musical 10 years later with the title of Easy to Wed, which had Van Johnson in it, played the William Powell character, Esther Williams played the Myrna Loy character, Lucille Ball played the Gene Harlow character, and Keenan Wen played the Spencer Tracy character. The role of the elder Alan Barry was originally to be played by Lionel Barrymore in Libeled Lady, and Connie Allenberry was going to be for Rosalind Russell. That would have been very interesting. It had been rumored that Myrna Loy and Spencer Tracy had an affair during the shooting of this film. So when Jean Harlow was entombed at Glendale Forest Lawn Cemetery in 1937, she was dressed in the gown she wore in this film. Reportedly, while shooting the movie, the four stars had become close friends, and William Powell even gave up his old habit of hiding out in his dressing room between scenes so he could join in on the fun of, with the rest of the cast. And one of the biggest jokes was a running gag that Spencer Tracy played on Myrna Loy, claiming that she had broken his heart with her recent marriage to producer Arthur Hornblow Jr. He even set up a I Hate Hornblow table in the studio commissary uh, reserved for men who claimed to have been jilted by Myrna Loy. Gene Harlow was forced to stay out of the production for 10 days due to a severe case of sunburn poisoning. All right, we have a special guest, Samantha, who had never seen this movie up to this point. So will she like it or won't she? Well, we'll find out. And I will tell you that I definitely enjoyed the movie. So I think if you're a fan of classic comedies and screwball comedies and just want something to relax to and have fun and not think too hard about, I think Libel Lady will be right up your alley. And I'll be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. We are back with Samantha. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you. So the the next movie you're going to watch that you've never, I don't believe you've seen before, is Libeled Lady from 1936. And uh, I know when I mentioned this to you, it kind of piqued your interest because there's four uh, big name actors in it. And so had you seen this before? And uh, and what do you think of the, the top build uh, cast? So I have never seen this before. You're correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Generally, I have not seen too many of Gene Harlow's movies. Um, And I really haven't seen a lot of Spencer Tracy when he was younger. Oh, okay. Um, So it was a really fun combination. Um, I really liked this movie. I enjoyed it from the beginning till the end. And it was a great, yeah, great discovery. It had a lot of the, the themes that I like. And that's what I thought. So that's why this one was, a, I thought, a good one for you. Because, yeah, yeah, you do have a lot of talent. But the story is actually really good. And and if anything, it kind of fits today's model of journalism in some ways. Oh, kind of, yeah. Or you have this, you know, libelous uh, you know, thing going on. Back then, you actually had to be held to more standards, I think, than today with all the social media stuff out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just had to print it at a newspaper. So. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we'll get into it. So what about this film did you really like? What were what were the things that really stood out for you? Let's see. So I think for me, I really enjoyed how the plot 
progressed and it got crazier and crazier yeah. <laughs> as we went. Um, it seemed at, at the beginning that it was kind of just going to be a bit of a um, a tricky little scheme to get this woman to um, drop her suit. But mm-hmm. of course, the um, journalist who they hired to do this, he got far more involved than he needed to. And all of the characters were so, so, so silly. Um, It just totally spiraled out of control. And I thought it was, yeah, paced really well. And I thought the characters had interesting, unique personalities. And everyone, um, I thought, yeah, really stood out too. So I really didn't have any, I think, negative thoughts. Okay. Um, as I watched it, I kind of just went along with it and I was really entertained. So with Jean Harlow, do you think she was underused or do you think it was just the right amount? Because if anything, this is really, even though she's first billed, it's really between uh, William Powell and, and Myrna Loy for the most of the film. Yeah, yeah. I do think um, Jean Harlow's character was... Yeah, I don't know if she, if she was underused, but I think, yeah, she was definitely, the character was definitely taken advantage of. Like, that was her role, um, to kind of be the silly wife or, you know, wannabe wife. And she got involved with this plot. And honestly, I don't know why she agreed in the first place. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, I think, yeah, she was definitely more of a side character in a way. Um, Toward the end, she finally got to, you know, give her opinion. And um, she had a great speech at the end. Right. um, When everything exploded. Um, But I think, yeah, it was for what her character was. I think it was just the right amount. And I'm glad you brought up the end because actually, if anything, because she's maybe not used, I mean, she's used fine, but what at the end, she really gets a chance to shine. And I think that's, that's actually the standout speech, you know, throughout the film. Yeah, I know. I was kind of like, to tell, like to myself, like cheering her on. Right. Like, go, go, go. That's what they get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Dumb> men. <laughs> <laughs> now, had you seen any of the uh, past, uh, because William Powell and Myrna Loy were in many films together. So I, I take it you'd seen The Thin Man. Had you seen any other, you know, of their uh, pairings? Oh, gosh. So, yeah, I have seen, I think, a few of The Thin Mans. Um, and... Yeah, I would have to look into them more um, because, yeah, I've seen the first Thin Man a few times um, and the follow up. So that's really what I yeah, associate them with. Yeah, but yeah, I can't say. Okay. Oh, sure. <laughs> they're they're fun. I mean, I think they're most people thought they were actually married in real life because they had such great chemistry. Oh, together. yeah. Much like, ironically, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, who did end up really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I don't know if they actually got married. They were always together, though. Um, but they were together in real life as well. So, yeah. So that, that brings up a outside of this movie. What are some of your favorite movie couples? Oh, my favorite movie couples. I put you on the spot. Oh, you did. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, oh you can gosh. think about it. I need like a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll have to bring it back on for the, yeah. <laughs> to look into that. But 
I mean, yeah, if you're leading with William Powell and Myrna Loy, I think they're on like another level yeah. just because they did act in so many movies together. And yeah, I like, I always like the, the more comedy couples too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Oh, I am not good with spontaneous <laughs> questions. <laughs> no, that's okay. And it doesn't have to be repeat viewings because there, there's some where, well, I mean, the obvious new one would be like Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. I think they work really well together. Oh, you know, like yeah. The Singer and we just did 50 First Dates and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, some people have total chemistry together. And sometimes they actually don't even like, like each other in real life. But they, it doesn't it still translates on screen like with uh, Gone with the Wind is a famous one where uh, Scarlet and, and Rhett did not get along in real life. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And that one's quite famous. So what were the other things that, that stood out for you in this film? Or, um, you know, did this film remind you of any other film that you had seen? Yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely liked the um, kind of like journey that William Powell took. Mm -hmm. um, I liked how he kind of had to stick with this. Um, he did. He did really kind of stick with the plan. Mm -hmm. um, but he kind of spun it in his own way um, because of how the little romance turned out um, toward the end. But yeah, I love, I don't know maybe if this is just a um, kind of a theme of this time period, but I really love movies when they have these like ocean liner, like fancy cruise ship Oh yeah. Lines. True. Um, yeah. It's just not something that happens anymore. No. Um, and I think they're really cool because um it puts characters together for like an extended period of time and they can't go anywhere. So it's kind of a cool function. Um when yeah, so you know, he ends up getting on this boat back to New York with um the Allenburys <laughs> and has to kind of get in with them and right. we have this their silly friends who show up on the same boat of course and kind of they end up causing problems later on but um yeah I really liked that part of the movie um and then I also really liked their little um fishing adventure trip oh yeah that's a lot of um, fun that was so funny and Again, I think it was another good opportunity of like a location and having it move along the plot. Um, yeah, I like when movies kind of go to different places and don't just stick to, um, yeah, one setting. I get sometimes I get kind of bored and a little claustrophobic when they want to try and, you know, enact the whole issue, you know, within one space. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think, oh, and that's actually a trap of kind of the early films because they're mm -hmm. all they seem to be stage adaptations. That they exactly, yeah, and so that that's you're right. This was the nice part about it where they were in different locations. Yeah, yeah, and you know, going back and forth between um, poor Gladys was stuck at that hotel for yes. so long, <laughs> which was funny though. And too. Then she was out at this like maybe upstate New York or whatever, like yep. fishing retreat and. Yeah, she had to kind of, you know, they were trying to get them all back. Um, that that was really funny. The the fishing scene, I'm sure, inspired. Did you ever see Man's Favorite Sport with um, Rock Hudson? 
No, I never did. I think you'll like it because it's he he plays this expert um person who writes books about fishing but he doesn't know how to fish at all so he's oh. created this persona <laughs> and so he ends up having to basically learn how to fish on the fly and he kind of does it the same way William Powell did where he's kind of reading out of a book <laughs> while he's doing everything yeah that was so funny I loved I loved that um, and if you like I uh I, I just saw a film so we'll probably ev eventually do this as well the Lady Eve uh with Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda where they, they actually meet each other on a on a ship so okay. I think I think you'll you'll like that too if you like ship locations yeah I don't know why but I think it's just like it's an a thing that doesn't exist anymore and they seem so elegant and fancy <laughs> yeah because it's not like you're you know today's cruise liners where they're all themes you know back then it, it was it was like traveling in style back then yeah and they had their fancy balls and they dressed up and yeah it's yeah they, it's so funny yeah <laughs> and, and yeah because people don't really if they go on a cruise it's because they want to kind of I guess do other things but I guess back then and maybe it was cheaper to to go on a ship than to fly so yeah yeah, yeah. And they had to also, you know, I think it was a society thing too. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing I liked about this movie was I always liked back in back in the 30s and the 40s, it was all about the newspaper. You saw a lot of movies about people working at newspapers, yeah. whether it be a reporter or an editor. And that that's what's nice because I miss you know, <laughs> real journalism mm -hmm. <laughs> because today it's all quick fade. And so uh, there is something kind of nostalgic about that. Yeah, and I think too, like Spencer Tracy's character, he seems very important. And because mm -hmm. this news, it's something that, you know, really does affect a lot of people and right. the circulation. And it was one of the primary forms of like communication. So, yeah, it was definitely at a different level than it is today. Even though, yeah, the story was a very sensational. <laughs> story, yeah, <laughs> and of course, libel suits still happen today, but it, it was just it, it, different then. It was it was totally different then. So, final thoughts. Uh, obviously, you enjoyed the film, and and I think you're probably actually you might go out and check out more films from these actors now because of it. Yeah, yeah, I um, liked how yeah I liked how it ended. Um, I definitely wasn't disappointed with how it all worked out. Like I did have a feeling everything would work out in the end and mm -hmm. everyone would end up with who they should end up with. Right. right. Um, so yeah, that was nice. Um, it, the plot wasn't too convoluted. Right. Um, it was a little confusing. I think at the beginning with all the names and people involved. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a well, well-written it had some super funny moments. Um, but then it also too, I think it had that great, like elegant 1930s, um, like star quality. So yes. yeah. Yeah. Jean Harlow, Myrna Loy, and even just the, a lot of the extras in the background, like everything was, I think, yeah. Well staged. I love the costumes. Um, total. Yeah. Total great example of, yeah, late 1930s style and everything. Yeah, I think you'd really appreciate Jean Harlow because sadly she, she you know, she didn't have a long career because she died at 26. So yeah, um, she she made actually a lot of films considering you know from the in the 30s. So um, you could probably check out and there's definitely you know ones with Clark Gable and and things like that. I think mm -hmm. Dinner at Eight is is one of her top. So yeah, yeah, 
Well, yeah. thank you as always for doing this. And we'll, we'll come up with another classic film for you to check oh, out. Great. Thanks. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.